Today, we are going to continue uh, where we last left off in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Today, we'll be covering uh, Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 46, and a message I've entitled, Watch and Pray. Uh, and so, uh, let's just get right into it. We have a lot to, to cover, alright? Will you please stand in... Uh, in God's Word, uh, as we read this morning's portion, uh, Matthew 26. Um, I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. Uh, I realize that we all don't have the same translations, and so as I read, do your best to follow along. Again, we're in Matthew 26, and we'll be reading verses 36 through 46. Matthew 26, verse 36, it says this, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And so he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for uh, just this opportunity to gather together as a, as a body, as brothers and sisters, as Your children, uh, to spend time in Your presence as our Father. We pray that You would just uh, hear our hearts, hear our cries, hear our prayers. And Lord, as we go through Your Word, may You lead and guide us. May You uh, speak to us and may You uh, show us more of who You are and more of what Your will is for us. May we enjoy and look forward to our time together with you and in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. i got to squeak right here on the floor. It's going to bug me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't bug you guys. <laughs> um... <laughs> Our opening verse details for us where Jesus and the disciples are at. Uh, we're told that Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. Okay? And, and we last left Jesus and the disciples as they were en route to the Mount of Olives. Okay? You'll recall that it was during their travel from the Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives that Jesus announced how all of the disciples would be made to stumble because of Him. 
And, and that's when Peter uh, stuck his foot in his mouth once again, uh, proclaiming that, uh, that he would never be made to stumble and that he was ready to die for Christ before he would even uh, deny Him. Uh, well, Gethsemane, okay, Gethsemane, according to, to most biblical scholars and historians, was, was located at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And according to John's Gospel record, the disciples exited the city of Jerusalem and then they crossed over the brook Kidron and entered into a garden. John 18.1 tells us that. The garden that they entered into is what we commonly refer to as the Garden of Gethsemane. John's Gospel also tells us that Gethsemane was a place that Jesus frequented Free. He went there a lot with his disciples. Okay. In fact, John writes uh, in his uh, gospel that this is how Judas knew where to go find Jesus and and betray him to the chief priest because that was a place that they normally went to and it was a part of their custom to go and hang out in this garden in at Gethsemane uh, because this was a, a place that he retreated to. Uh, Luke also tells us that oftentimes he'd spend long days in the city of Jerusalem, but then at night they would retreat to this place at the Mount. It's on the Mount of Olives. So, I think it worth mentioning here that if it was important uh, for Jesus to to have a place where he could get away and and pray and spend time seeking the Lord, you know that we ought to have such a place as well. You know, uh, I want to ask you, just you know, thinking, you know, do you have a place where you can just just get away and and pray and and seek the Lord? You know, it was something that was important for Jesus. It was something that he frequently did. He had a place to get away, to do such a thing, to seek the Lord. You know, perhaps a quiet place outdoors, like like the patio where you can just spend some time alone with the Lord. Uh, or maybe it's early in the morning, you know, before anyone else is awake. You, you take your place in your recliner. You, you just spend some time in the Word and and in prayer. Maybe you got your your cup of coffee next to you and. And now you have a throw blanket on over you because it's getting cold now. Uh, you just have that quiet time before anybody else wakes up. You know, if you're like me, uh, finding that time and, and place to, to get away and, and spend some time uh, with the Lord, it, it can be rather challenging. Okay? Uh, you know, I've had those uh, uh, at different times. I've had those opportunities, those those places where I could get away at different times in my life. And it was nice, you know, but they easily slip away when we don't uh, make them a priority. You know, life happens. Uh, our attention is drawn uh, elsewhere or our time gets eaten up by others or by less important things. And so I, I just wanted to point this out just as an example that we can follow. You know, Jesus, He, he left for us an example here. He, he had a time, a place for getting away and, and spending time with the Lord and in fellowship with His disciples as well. And we ought to have that. We ought to cherish those moments as well. I want to encourage you guys. Uh, and I know it's difficult for some, you know, We've got uh, moms here who've got kids, and the kids are waking up before you really want to wake up, and they're, they're staying up all night, and you've got multiples, and they're, you know, I, I understand. I've got four boys. You know, my wife tells me, you know, uh, all about it, you know, and uh, when I'm there, I, uh, I, I experience it too, because I'm like, oh, you got to get up, you know. Uh, 
So I understand it can be difficult. Okay, I understand that, but we—it's worth it. We got to make the sacrifice. We got to find the time. We got to find the priority. You know, uh, a little bit less time on Facebook, or a little less time on Pinterest, or a little less time reading sports and watching sports. You know, just just that sacrifice that we would have a time and place to get away to be with the Lord. Interestingly, the, the word Gethsemane is actually a noun that's translated from the Aramaic gath, which means oppress, and shemen, which means oil. The word Gethsemane uh, then pictures for us an oil press. Okay? And uh, of course, because of its proximity to the Mount of Olives, it would make sense that Gethsemane would have some, uh, would be a place where olive presses were used to produce olive oil. And so, uh, in an oil press, uh, if you're not familiar with it, olives, they would be crushed. They'd be broken uh, and ground up so that the oil might be produced. And that very first batch of oil that comes out, that's what we call virgin olive oil. Okay? And so uh, symbolically we see here how Jesus will go through a pressing and a crushing of His own in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, the place of an oil press. Interesting. Let's read verse 37 and 38. It says, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Jesus had instructed the other disciples to stay, uh, seemingly at the entrance of the garden. We're not told exactly where, but he told the, the eleven disciples, because Judas isn't with them anymore, right? He told the eleven, stay here. But then uh, of those, he grabbed three and asked them uh, to come along with him. He brought with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, who we know to be James and John. Okay, and so uh, they went on a little further into the garden with him. And, and this is not the first time that these disciples were singled out uh, amongst from the rest of the group. Okay? Uh, recall that these are the same three guys that were brought up uh, the mountain with Jesus to witness the transfiguration. Okay? Also, it was only these three that were permitted to be with Jesus when He went to heal uh, the daughter of Jairus, who was a, a local ruler of one of the synagogues. Okay? They've been privy to some very special events in the life and ministry of Jesus. And, and you know, to me, I look at that and I just ask, why these three? You know, why, why, what made them different uh, from the others? You know, Scripture doesn't really give us any facts to follow in determining why these three were given these special opportunities over more than, say, you know, uh, Thomas or, or Bartholomew or Andrew, but for some reason, these three. Uh, we know that the Lord does not play favorites. Um, we know that these disciples, uh, they would go on to be prominent members of the first century church. And so perhaps Jesus, uh, with that foreknowledge, wanted to better prepare them for their future ministry. Some jokingly suggest that perhaps it was because these guys were the troublemakers amongst the group. You know, uh, you know those kids that you know aren't allowed to leave mom and dad. You go to the park, and you know the other ones like, okay, kids, you go run around and play. And then there's one that says, no, right here, right next to me, right you, right here. You're not leaving. Don't even think about leaving my side. And and so some kind of jokingly suggest that maybe that that was the kind of connection with these three. Uh, and there would be uh, there would seem to be some scriptural support for the. Thought of these guys being the ones that need a little extra supervision. Okay, Peter, as we've recently noted, often allowed his mouth to get him into trouble. 
James and John. Uh, they were the ones that wanted to call down fire on people because they wouldn't let them take a shortcut through their land. And so these guys were kind of harsh, and Peter got in a lot of trouble sometimes. And so perhaps uh, there is a, some validity to that. Uh, to me, maybe I, I like a combination of it, of preparation mixed with precaution and protection uh, with the group. Uh, but one other possibility that I thought was interesting as I was studying and, and just dawned on me is that these three were the only ones that we know of that were singled out at least that boasted in their own ability to handle this coming trial and temptation. It was James and John, if you guys recall, that so boldly declared their ability when they were trying to jockey for position in God's kingdom. Remember they brought mom along with them and mom went and said, hey, when you enter your kingdom, when you enter in, can you make you know, my son uh, one on the right and one on the left hand side? And Jesus, he asked them if they were able to drink the cup that he was about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that he was about to be baptized with. And you guys know what they said? We are able. Right on. Yeah, we could do that. You know. Uh, uh, then we we already just looked at Peter. It was Peter that just a, a few moments ago declared that even if all these other guys were made to stumble, that he would never be made to stumble. Uh, and then he doubled down after Jesus told him, "No, you're going to deny me three times." Uh, and he says, "Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you." And so perhaps Jesus is giving these guys an opportunity to make good on their own proclamations of their own boasting of, yes, we're able to, to partake of that cup and, and we're able, we're not going to deny you, I'm not going to deny you, and I'm not, even all these other people, not me. And so he says, come along, guys. And I wonder if, that, if there's an element to that as well. Whatever the reason, we see that these guys are given yet another special opportunity to be with the Lord. And as they went deeper into the garden, Jesus began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Jesus was going through a very difficult time. The word used for sorrow, it speaks of great grief that Jesus is feeling. Uh, the description of being deeply distressed, it speaks of an overwhelming weight of burden that is upon Him. He feels as if He's got the whole weight of the world uh, bearing down on Him and it's causing Him great grief. Why is this so important for us to know? Well, what is the significance of Jesus' great sorrow and His great distress? It's this. It reminds us that we have a high priest that knows what it means to suffer. And He knows what it means to be tremendously distressed. It means Jesus understands and He can relate to you and to me when we go through tough times. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, it states it this way, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, knowing that Jesus has gone through what we have gone through, 
And it gives to us a boldness in coming to Him, knowing that He can relate, that He knows what it's like, and we can be confident that we can find mercy and find grace that is needed to get us through each of those situations. And so it's important that we note this great sorrow because it allows us to see that His humanity allows us to see a side of Jesus that we don't normally see. Jesus, He confides in these three and explains to them what He's feeling in verse 38 when He says, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. You know, the idea of having sorrow unto death shows just how deep of an emotion that Jesus was feeling. Though he hadn't experienced any physical attack upon himself, he felt as if he was about to die under the pressure that he was feeling. It was overwhelming him. And he needed, he needed to deal with it. And Jesus reached out to his closest disciples and bared his soul to them and openly explained the pain and the hurt that he was experiencing. You know, in our, in our portion of Scripture today, we're going to see a side of Jesus, as I mentioned, that we rarely see or consider when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ. This scene in the Garden of Gethsemane portrays, in my opinion, more than any other portion of Scripture, I think, the humanity of Jesus Christ. Jesus is 100% man. He is 100% God. Uh, but we, we kind of default to the God side a lot. And we fail to remember and realize that He was man. As we read through the Gospel accounts of His life, we often you know, fail to realize this important truth because we read of Him performing all sorts of miracles. right? Healing people from blood and leprosy, churning water into wine, raising people from the dead. And we look at Him as divine because He is. He, he is God in flesh dwelling amongst men. We're going to be celebrating that, that notion. And we even sang of it this morning. The notion of God coming and taking on the form of a man and living amongst us. Uh, you know, that's, what, that's what Christmas is, is really all about. We call this belief the doctrine of the Incarnation. When Jesus, the Son of God, who's also referred to as the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us, as John 1.14 describes for us. You know, Although it's good and proper to think of Jesus as God, as divine, we must not forget that He was also human. It's a, it, the doctrine of the Incarnation, I was thinking about going into it, but I just thought, you know, it, it, it's a lot, uh, and it's hard to uh, grasp sometimes the idea that one person can be 100% man and 100% God at the same time and have all of the attributes of God in himself, but also have all of the shortcomings and, and failings of, of sorts in human nature. You know, he has a, a human nature and he has a divine nature, and it's in one person. That's what the doctrine of the incarnation talks about. And I'm not going to get into the details uh, of that, but it's amazing. Uh, Here we see the vulnerability of Jesus' human nature. He's hurting. 
His emotions are so heavy that he feels like he's going to die. I think sometimes we don't really comprehend that. We just think, well, he was God, and yeah, he, he suffered, and he died for our sins, and he went through that. We just think, well, he's God. And, and we don't realize that he was just like us. Jesus wasn't afraid to be real with these guys and open up to them about the feelings and the emotions that He was experiencing. I think some people think that showing emotion is a sign of, of weakness or that it makes you flawed in some way. Let me tell you, Jesus wasn't weak and Jesus wasn't flawed. Okay? Jesus was overwhelmed at this time. Okay? Uh, Imagine how much it would take to overwhelm someone like Jesus Christ. Some of us are easily overwhelmed, okay? Uh, not to put us down, but you know, some of us are, are easily overwhelmed. But then there's others that are just, they're rocks. You know, it's like nothing shakes them. And, and to me, when I think of Jesus Christ, I think of a guy that, you know, nothing shakes this guy. Right? If you recall, Jesus Christ, He's this rock, unshakable. When others would fret and worry, He was none the, the worse. Okay, remember when Jesus and the disciples, they were in the midst of a storm out on the Sea of Galilee and the disciples were running around panicking, thinking that they are going to die. We're going to drown here and we're going to die. What are you doing? What was Jesus doing? Sleeping. He was sleeping, calm as can be. And yet here we see Him. He is exceedingly sorrowful and deeply distressed. I believe Jesus, He told these guys how He was feeling because He was reaching out to them. After bearing Himself to them, His request was, stay here and watch with Me. Jesus was wanting them to pray for Him, to support Him in this trying time. The word watch, according to my lexicon, it involves the duty of vigilance combined with prayer. Jesus was asking them to stay up. Okay, to, to have a, a vigil of sorts. Stay up. It's late, I know, but I want you to stay up and I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray with me. That's what He was asking them to do. I, I see here another example uh, that Jesus gives to us, even in His most demanding of time. He shows us the importance of having people in our life that we can open up to, that we can be honest with, that we can ask for prayer with. You know, none of us are called to walk this life of faith by ourselves. Has purposely designed us in such a way that we need each other. Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25 instructs us, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more that so much the more as you see the day approaching. James 5.16 exhorts us to confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, it tells us that we are to comfort each other and to edify one another. You see, God has given us each other so that we can help one another, so that we can pray for one another, so that we can build one another up. You know, and if you felt it necessary to ask for prayer from those close to 
Him, how much the more do we need to do the same? And I want to encourage you to have those type of people in your life. And I also want to encourage you to be that type of person in the life of someone else. Be a shoulder to to cry upon. Be an ear to listen to. Be an intercessor for someone. Um, Open up yourself. Allow yourself to be uh, helped and encouraged in those ways. I think it's important. I think a good example that Jesus sets for us. Well, let's look at verse 39. He goes to pray. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So much uh, is revealed to us in this simple prayer request of our Lord. And Jesus asked if it was possible to let this cup pass from him. And what is meant by this cup? The cup that Jesus spoke of was symbolic of the lot, the bitter lot which awaited our Lord in His sufferings and in His death. These sufferings, they spoke of physical pain that He would incur from multiple beatings, from scourging. Also the pain He would feel as they would press a crown of thorns upon His head, his head and as they would take nails and nail Him to a cross. And then He also, the physical pain, the excruciating pain of crucifixion. Not only was it physical suffering, though, there was a, an emotional suffering that was before him as well. He would be betrayed by one of his own. All those with him would desert him in his hour of need. He would be mocked. He would be spat upon. He would be cursed. He would be stripped of his clothing. Even the Father will turn His face from Him. The Father who promises to never leave us nor forsake us, He is going to forsake His only begotten Son while He hangs upon the cross. And even more than the physical and the emotional pain, I believe there was a spiritual pain that He would endure as well. His soul, as He declares here, was exceedingly sorrowful. In just a few hours, the sins of all humanity would be laid upon Him. He who knew no sin would be made to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The cup, it represented the exchange of the world's sins for Jesus' righteousness. The stain of sin would be removed from us and placed upon Him as He hung upon the cross. The cup, as he mentioned during the Last Supper, was symbolic of his sufferings, of his death, his blood that would be shed for the remission of sins. And Jesus asked if it were possible to let the cup pass from him. When asking if the cup could pass from him, Jesus was asking if it was possible that he didn't have to go through with the cross, didn't have to go through with the shame, the the emotional, the spiritual, the physical pain. He asked, is there any other way? Is it possible? 
Jesus, you know, I don't want to sound blasphemous here, but he didn't want to have to go through it. He didn't want to do this. He had a, a will of his own, okay? And he didn't want to he didn't want to do this. The fact that Jesus did go to the cross and the fact that he did go through pain and suffering that we can we can't even begin to imagine proves to us that there was no other way. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through Him. John 14.6 tells us that. There is no other way. Being a good person, or doing nice things, or keeping the law, or animal sacrifices, doing more good than evil, going to church, giving money, visiting widows, visiting orphans, none of these things will get you into heaven. There is no other way. Jesus asked, if there is any other way, if it is possible, please let this cup pass. The only way to the Father and to enjoy the place that He's prepared for us is through His Son. Jesus wanted another way. He asked if there was another way. Do you think the Father would send His only begotten Son to suffer the agony that He went through if there was another way? How? I mean, that would be a really bad dad. <laughs> to suggest that you don't need Jesus to get into heaven is to suggest that Jesus' sacrifice was for naught. That he really didn't have to go through all that he went through for us. Paul declares in his letter to the churches of Galatia, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If there was another way, we could do it by following the law, or we could do it by good works, then, then the work of the cross was done in vain. The cup that was given to Jesus by the Father was the only way. And there are a couple other things I, I just want to point out about Jesus' prayer here in verse 39. Just some small bullet point type things as we look at His prayer. Some things to note regarding His prayer. And, and the first thing I want to note is Jesus went away to get alone with the Father. It says that Jesus went a little farther away. He, he told the three to stay and watch, and, and then He went on a little farther. You know, Jesus sought out a, a secluded place for Him to spend time alone with the Father. And what a great example that is for us. You know, group prayer is good. Okay? And we need each other. And we need to be praying for one another. And that's a good thing uh, to lift one another up. But, but group prayer should never take the place of private prayer. Family prayers around the dinner table or by the bedside are no replacement for getting alone with the Lord. Private prayer is essential. Second thing I want to note here is uh, about this prayer is that it was offered with reverence. Jesus came before the Lord and fell on His face and prayed. You know, th this posture of falling on it shows great reverence for the Lord and also uh, submission and humility to the Father. And when we pray, I don't think the posture 
that we pray in is as important as the position of our heart. Whether you want to pray standing, kneeling on your knees, or lying flat on your face isn't as important as the position of your heart when you come to the Lord in prayer. Are you coming to the Lord with reverence for who He is? Is your heart in the right place when you seek the Lord? Jesus demonstrates for us an attitude of reverence and and worship in His prayer. Uh, and, And so should we. Third thing I note here is that Jesus directed His prayer to, the, to His Father. You know, we have the blessing of being adopted into the family of God. Romans explains how we have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Because we have been adopted into the family uh, of God, we, when we pray, we can pray, Abba, Father. The Abba uh, uh, is a term of tender endearment by a beloved child. We have the the kind of relationship with the Father that we can cry out to Him like a small child would out to His daddy or out to His papa and we can just lift up our heart to Him. We can be confident that the Lord hears our prayers as we cry out direct our prayers to Him as our Abba, Father, Daddy, here's where I'm at. And He's there to hear and He's there to to listen, to answer our prayers. The fourth thing I want to point out is that Jesus didn't limit the Lord in His prayer life. Sometimes we can do that in our prayer life. We limit the Lord. We don't think He's able to do things, and so we don't ask Him what is possible. Jesus asked if, if it is possible. He did not know of another way. Jesus didn't know of another way. He was, he was well aware of the plan, uh, the, the mission that was before Him. But perhaps uh, the Lord knew something that He didn't. You know? Maybe the Lord had another plan that, that Jesus was... You know? and, and so He says, if it's possible... You know, when we pray, we ought not to limit the Lord to our own thinking of what is possible or not. Sometimes we, 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 we fail to really ask the Lord and pour out to Him what we really want because we just don't feel like He's able. And Jesus says, you know, to Him, He knew. As far as I know, there's no other way, but Lord, if it's possible, if there is a way that You can do this, I, I want You to. And so we see that He didn't limit the Lord in His prayer life. Fifthly, Jesus asked for belief. He asked if the cup could be passed from Him. And I think this is something that we probably don't struggle with. Okay? I think that's how I pray oftentimes. Okay? Lord, let this situation pass. Let this trial go away. Uh, let it, this testing be finished. Let this season be quick. I can pray like that pretty, pretty well. And I imagine that you guys are pretty good at it as well. You know, those sorts of prayers are what I find praying more often than not. God, could you just get me through this? God, can you get me out of this? And there's nothing wrong with that type of prayer when it is ultimately surrendered to the Lord's will. Which brings me to another point about Jesus' prayer. Jesus' prayer was for God's will and not His own. We must remember that prayer is not about getting our will done, but about getting us in line with what He wants to do in and through us. Jesus was submitted to whatever the Father wanted. He let God know what He wanted, 
But he submitted to the, whatever the Father saw fit. And there's nothing wrong with suggesting something to the Lord. You know, I do that from time to time in my prayer life. Lord, this is what I think you should do. Or, Lord, this is what I think would be best and what I would like to see. Uh, oh, Lord, uh, wouldn't it be great if you did this, Lord? Or would you, if you did that, that would really be great, Lord. You know, I think we can suggest things to the Lord. That's okay. As long as we submit those requests under the condition of, if that be your will. And let me tell you something I've come to realize. God knows what's best for us. And oftentimes, God doesn't answer my prayers in the manner in which I suggest. And for that, I am so grateful. When we pray for God's will, we show our trust in God's decision for what is best for us. It may not always be easiest. It may not always be what we want. But it will always be what is best. Let's continue looking at verse 40, 41. Then He came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with Me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. When Jesus returned to the three after praying, He found them sleeping. And He calls out Peter specifically. You know, I wonder, obviously I read it in a certain tone. Uh, I don't know uh, what tone Jesus used when He returned to see these guys sleeping instead of watching and praying. Uh, was it one of anger or frustration uh, or perhaps sorrow and disappointment? Uh, we can't really say for sure. We, we don't know. Um, he asked Peter, could you not watch with me one hour? Jesus, he, he really did not ask much of these three. He being in great agony, he requested of them to watch and pray with him for one hour, and yet they dropped the ball. Or actually their eyelids, that's what dropped. Their eyelids dropped as they fell asleep. These guys, they missed out on an incredible opportunity to minister directly to the Lord and pray for Him, for him during an extremely difficult time for Him. What a blessing! What a privilege that would have been to be able to intercede on behalf of our Lord. That's an incredible blessing that they missed out on. These men that were so bold in their own ability lacked the discipline to stay up and to pray. I think, unfortunately, I think you know I can relate to these guys. I can be honest with you guys. You know, I, I want to pray and and read my Bible and spend time with the Lord, but but so often when I when I go to do such, my eyes all of a sudden they just feel like they've got these like ten pound weights on them, and I'm like, you know, reading, open up the Bible. Like I can open up a sports article and I have no problem, but I open up the Bible and it just starts to go, and it's difficult. Okay? And we start to pray, and you start praying, and you're. Never mind, I won't. Well, well, I'm praying with my wife, you know, and and it's and she's praying, and it's beautiful, but you know, you're just. It's like okay, don't fall asleep, don't fall asleep, don't fall asleep. It's difficult, okay? I I hope I hope you guys aren't stumbled by my <laughs> lack of spirituality. Um, you know, I think we just need to do a better job in disciplining ourselves in spiritual matters. 
Paul, in writing to young Timothy, he exhorted him to exercise himself toward godliness. He said, exercise yourself toward godliness, for bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Hey, I know that most of you guys are great at disciplining your body for physical exercise. You wake up before the sun rises, and you're out there you know, hitting the gym, hitting the weights, you're on the treadmill, maybe you're running around the seawall, you're out biking. I see guys biking out in town all the time. Uh, but some of us, we're, pre- we're, we're not very good at disciplining our body unto godliness. You know, and we need to apply the, the same principles used for physical exercise towards our spiritual exercise. We need to make spiritual exercise more important than our physical exercise. Why? Because godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that is now that now is and of that which is to come. I want to encourage us all uh, to be disciplined in making time to be with the Lord. We need to guard that time, to keep watch over that time, to make it a priority in our lives. You know, while I was studying for this portion of Scripture, it caught my attention that Jesus was away praying for one hour. And obviously, the prayer that He prayed in verse 39 didn't take Him an hour to express. And so there, there must have been more that happened during that time of prayer. Okay? And a look at the other Gospels shined a light on a few of the other things that went on while Jesus was praying. Interesting information is found in the Gospel of Luke. Luke's Gospel tells us that after Jesus had prayed for the cup to pass from Him, that an angel appeared from heaven and strengthened Him. The appearance of this angel, I believe, must be the sort of answer to that prayer. The Lord could not grant His request, but instead He sent an angel to strengthen Him for the task that lied ahead of Him. Luke tells us that after the angel appeared, Jesus began to pray even more earnestly because of the agony that he was feeling. And in fact, he was under such duress from the agony of fulfilling the Father's will that Dr. Luke tells us that Jesus' sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus was so overwhelmed that He actually began to to, to seemingly sweat drops of blood. Some of you may be thinking that uh, maybe that's just allegorical or maybe that's just symbolically. Uh, But Dr. Luke does not use any such form of writing in his recording of this event. Okay? Uh, sweating, or at least the appearing to sweat drops of blood, is a real, real and very rare medical condition. It's called, I'm going to butcher it, hematohydrosis. hematohydrosis. Okay. According to the National Library of Medicine, it is a condition in which ca- the capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture, causing them to exude blood occurring under the condition of extreme physical or emotional stress. Just yet another reminder of the extreme amount of agony and sorrow Jesus was dealing with this night as He would sweat drops of blood. 
Jesus instructed Peter and the other two disciples to watch and pray. And we know that Jesus was speaking to the other guys as well, and not just Peter, because the word you in verse 41 is actually written in the plural form. And so he's talking about you guys here, Peter, James, and John. And so he tells them... To, to watch and pray. And why did they need to watch and pray? So that they didn't enter into temptation. Okay? And what temptation would they need to be concerned about entering into? Well, the temptation to desert their master. Okay? To be made to stumble because of him. And why would they even be tempted? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus here, He gave sound counsel for how to combat against temptation and the flesh. We must watch and pray. Jesus understood something about temptation and overcoming temptation. He knew that the battle was won prior to the actual temptation occurring. If we wait until we are in the middle of temptation to pray, our flesh, which is so weak, is less likely to successfully escape because we are ill-prepared for the temptation. And thus will be the fate of Peter, James, and John. Because they were unable to watch and pray, we see that they will fall into temptation. That their spirits were willing, but their flesh will prove to be too weak. All three will be made to stumble because of Him before the night is up. And Peter especially will deny even knowing the Lord three times. They did not watch and pray. And therefore they were ill prepared for what lied ahead. Jesus, on the other hand, did watch and pray. Let's read verse 42 through 43. He says, Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And Jesus went away a second time to pray. And this time his prayer, it's been slightly modified. No longer is he asking if it's possible for the cup to pass from him, but now he seems to surrender himself more to the Lord's will, knowing that there is no other way. Jesus watched and prayed, and as he did, the Lord was strengthening him. And the Lord was preparing him for what lied ahead. He returned again to... Uh, his disciples and found them sleeping once again. This time he didn't even bother waking them up. He just goes and sees them. They're sleeping. Turns around, goes back to pray again. Verse 44 through 46. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed unto into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus departed again a third time to pray, praying along the same lines as He had previously. Jesus three different times went and prayed about the same thing. David Guzik, a favorite commentator of mine that I like to read, he stated in his commentary regarding Jesus praying for the same thing three different times uh, the following. He said this, This shows us that it is not unspiritual to make the same request to God several times. Some hyper-spiritual people believe that if we ask for something more than once, it proves that we don't have faith. 
That may be true for some in some situations, but Jesus shows us that repeated prayer can be completely consistent with steadfast faith. So my encouragement is is don't grow weary in your prayer life. Submit your prayers before the Lord and ask Him to align you with His will. And it's okay to continue praying for the same thing as long as we are open to and submitted to God's will. Although we don't know what He prayed the third time, uh, the slight difference between the first and second prayer seems to show a progression uh, of Jesus' own prayers unto the will of the Father. He asks, Lord, is there any other way, please? And then the next time He comes, He says, okay, I realize there's no other way, but for me to do this, Your will be done. So there's this progress of aligning Himself with the will of the Lord. And you know, I have found in my own prayer life, the more I pray about uh, something specifically, the more peace I have in trusting that God's will will be done. And I want to encourage you guys, keep praying. Submit and surrender yourselves to God's will. And as you continue to pray, I imagine and I believe with confidence that God will start to change even your prayer life. That it will start aligning with God's will for you and for your life. As Jesus returned, He awakens His disciples. He tells them that His hour is at hand and that He's being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Note with me, he says, Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus just spent hours in prayer preparing for this moment. He started off this evening in such agony, such sorrow and distress. He didn't want to have to go through with what he was about to go through with. And yet here we see Him waking His disciples and willingly moving forward, preparing to surrender Himself to His betrayer. You guys realize that when Jesus says, Rise, let us be going, that He wasn't saying, Come on guys, we got to get out of here. My betrayer is right here. You know, Judas is coming with the chief priest. we got to find a better place to hide. He knows about this place. We always come here. That's not what He's saying. He's rising up, going towards His betrayer, towards those that are going to physically and emotionally abuse Him and nail Him to a cross and kill Him. And and here's what we need to realize about this scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where the victory was won. This was the turning point in the battle. The rest, I I suggest, was more of a mop-up job. This was where the battle took place. And I I don't mean to belittle the cross. The cross is glorious. But the reason Christ was able to willingly lay down His life upon the cross was because of the victory that He obtained this night in prayer. From this night on, as we will continue to follow uh, in the next few chapters, we will see uh, Jesus is completely committed to the Father's will. There's no more objections. There's no more crying out for it to be you know, something else. It's been settled. It's been done. There'd be no stopping Him, no room for the flesh to work. The victory was decided here. 
in the Garden of Gethsemane. The sorrow and great distress that he began this night with has been replaced with a yielded spirit that has been prepared and strengthened by the Lord. This is where the victory was won. And this is where the victory will be won in your life as well. The battles that you go through, if you want to be victorious, you need to be watching and praying beforehand. You can't just find yourselves in a difficult situation and then start calling out to the Lord. That's our default. Okay? I'm not ashamed of that to say that I've been in that situation before. And I imagine that most of you would be able to say, yeah, I've been there too. The battle is won beforehand in prayer. The battle was won in the garden. The cross was where He claimed that victory, but it was had. That turning point was here in the garden. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for this morning. Lord, we thank You for uh, who You are. Father, we, we often know You and think of You as, as God, and, and You are God. And, and Jesus, You are the Son of God, and You are 100% divine. And Father, I think sometimes we forget that You sent Your Son to dwell amongst us as a man. He was human. And He, he struggled like we struggle, but yet He was sinless. And thank You that we have a high priest. We have someone that can sympathize, that can relate to us. Someone who's gone through something like this, a, a, a agony and a sorrow so deep that it was feeling like He was going to die. And, and so we know that He relates to us. That when we're hurting and we're going through a tough time, he can sympathize with us and he can he can know how we feel and and we can call out to him boldly and and receive the mercy and grace that we need father thank you for your son thank you for sending him here to 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 dwell amongst men to be god incarnate to be god in flesh Thank You. And, and may we be reminded of that this Christmas season as well. As we think of the babe that was born, it is the Son of God in the flesh of man. Lord, may we be in awe of that, reminded of Your great sacrifice and what You've done for us. We love You. Again, we thank You for Your Word. And I pray that You would just continue to minister to us as we sing this last song. May our hearts be just in tune with Yours. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we uh, spend time looking at the events leading up to the crucifixion, um, in this time where we're leading up to his birth, uh, 11 days, um, and just let's sing about how those are connected. So if you stand, we're going to sing Emmanuel. Um, pay attention to the lyrics. It really talks about how even before his birth, or at the time of his birth, this was the reason he came.
sweet 